Uh, well, I'm excited to continue our series on the book of Psalms. If you've been with us the last few weeks, um, it's just been good for me. I hope it's been encouraging to you. I love the psalm that we're looking at today, Psalm 103. Uh, I can remember specifically the first time I felt like God used this psalm specifically for me to speak to me, to encourage me in a time of need. I was a full-time college pastor up in Paris, Texas. Uh, we had just had Micah, so we had Hannah and this little baby. We also had this house that we had gutted and were remodeling. We knocked down walls. So I did that in my spare time at night. And then Sunday nights, we had church at my church on Sunday nights from 6 to 7. I'd lead worship for that. And at about 8.30, I would tuck my kids into bed, give Katie a kiss, and I'd head on the road to Fort Worth where I spent the night with my sister so that I could do seminary. Uh, my day off was Monday, and Monday I would wake up and need to be at seminary at 8 o'clock for class, and I'd usually get home about 9.30 or 10 p.m. that night. I'd just go all day long. And so this was my life for many years, uh, and it was a lot at the time. Uh, but as you can imagine, sometimes on Monday morning, it was a little bit hard for me to get up extra early to have my time with the Lord as, after I'd done everything that weekend, driven there, and was headed to class. But praise God for I-35 in Fort Worth where you have plenty of time to sit and listen to the Word of God while you're in traffic in the mornings. And so I took the YouVersion Bible app and I would have it read to me. And it, I remember specifically where I was when I was driving. It was one of those moments, I need to hear from you, God. I need to be reminded of who you are and how you love me and, and all the promises that you have given me. And man, it read Psalm 103 and it was one of those impactful moments that still sticks with me 10 years later. And so this morning, what I hope is as we get into Psalm 103, what David is writing is this desire, these words that you've heard before, we're going to sing them at the end of service, bless the Lord, O oh my soul. I hope that what that does in us as we go through this psalm today is we begin to see not only, hey, how can we bless the Lord with all of our soul now and in this place, but also as we leave and throughout the week, that we would praise him and worship him for who he is. I love what one author said. He said, if we aren't praising God truly, we aren't thinking about God rightly and deeply. If we aren't praising God truly, we aren't thinking about God rightly and deeply. And so what I hope this morning is David is going to give us some framework to think about God rightly and deeply. And it should produce in us praise and worship. And so with that being said, if you have your Bible, why don't we turn to Psalm 103 and we'll begin with verse 1. Here's what David says. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. David is kind of calling on himself, calling on his own soul. He's like, soul, I want you to lift up the name of God. I want you to praise him. I want you to be in this. I want you to give him everything you have. He's kind of calling himself to do that. And we hear the word bless all the time, right? We're going to bless the Lord. We bless each other. I was setting up this morning at 6 a.m. and sneeze and someone's like, bless you. Like, what does bless the Lord, oh my soul, even mean? I love what one author put. He said, it simply means to praise, exalt, and worship him. Specifically, it means to express humble adoration of God. Blessing the Lord is speaking well of God while you are on your knees. It is bowing yourself low and speaking well of God who is high and lifted up. 
To bless the Lord, to bless God, oh my soul, is this idea of coming and going, man, I know that I'm sinful and I'm fallen and I'm not righteous and I'm weak and fading and yet you're high and exalted and lifted up and I'm going to come before you bowed in humility to lift up your name, to praise you. And David's saying, hey, how do we live in a place where our soul longs to do that with all that we have? Our mission at Wellspring is to love God with all that we are while making disciples that make disciples. How do we love God with all of our being? How do we praise him and worship him with everything that we have inside of us? Well, David's going to kind of give us a format, a way to think about that, even a way to do that as you leave this place. And so I hope that we do bless his holy name this morning, but I hope also that you bless his holy name tomorrow. And so here's how he continues on in verse two. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not, what? All of his benefits, his blessings. Forget not his benefits. We've talked about this so many times before. Like God's people are just a forgetful people. God will do amazing things, infinitely beyond what we could think or ask or imagine. And then literally the next day we forget about it. Some of you guys come in here on Sunday and you hear the word of God and you think deeply and correctly about who God is. And what it does is it stirs you up and you kind of get fired up for the Lord and remember who he is. And you leave and you're like, man, this is the week. This is the week I'm going to get into my word. I'm going to serve. I'm going to follow him, whatever the cost. And then you live your life and you forget to think deeply and rightly about the Lord the rest of the week. And you come back in next Sunday hoping that maybe you can receive a little something from the 30 minutes that Matt's on stage. And God desires so much more from us. That's why Paul says you've got to renew your mind daily. You've got to constantly be thinking about right and deep things of God so that you don't forget them, that you worship him, that you bless him, that you praise him. Maybe some of you just struggle with anxiety or worry or fear. Philippians 4 says, think on what's noble and true and right. We enter into the world and we begin to just be bombarded by the things of life. And he's saying, you've got to think on what is right. Remember the promises of God. Jesus even said, hey, first seek my kingdom." Then everything else will work out. Seek first my kingdom. But here's what happens if we're honest, right? Like we get pumped up, we want that, we experience that on a Sunday morning, but then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday come and what we've sought is our Facebook feed, our emails, our tasks, the news, stocks, our kids, all the busy things we have going and, and that becomes what we seek first and we're going, man, why do I feel empty? Why does my heart feel far from God? Why can I not praise and bless his holy name? Like I want to be honest with you, right? Like I've been in ministry for 20 years and believe it or not, there's days as a pastor and as a minister that I didn't feel like blessing his holy name. There was days where it was like, I still trust him, I know who he is, I believe, but I just don't feel it. And the Bible said, hey, listen, we've got to think rightly and deeply about the Lord to stir up our affections and our desires and our praise of our God. And so David says, hey, for me to do this, I'm going to forget not all of your blessings. And then he makes a list of some of the things that he remembers that God has done for him so that his soul might exalt Jesus. And he begins with the first, verse 3 who forgives all your iniquity, 
who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. Man, I love this. He starts with what I believe is one of the most important parts of praise and worship of our God. He says, he forgave my iniquity. This is David, right, who had the affair and committed adultery with Bathsheba. She's married, so he has her husband killed. And then there's this moment where the prophet comes and says, David, you did this, God knows this, and you're about to die for it. And next week, Brent's going to be preaching in Psalm 51. And this is actually the response of David to this moment where he cries out in true repentance, true confession, true, true sorrow. And what he was not met with was the wrath of God, but instead he was befriended by the Lord, shown grace and mercy and kindness and forgiveness. And David's going, man, I remember, God, that you have forgiven my iniquity. And in Jesus, he has done the same for us if we've placed our faith in Christ. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says this, for all of the promises of God find their yes in him, in Jesus. Literally, if you've placed your faith in Christ, every promise that is in the scripture, every benefit for the people of God is now yours. The Bible says it's a yes for you if you trust in Christ. The, the question is, do you know what this thing says about you? Do you know what this thing guarantees for you? You're struggling worshiping the Lord. He's going, man, read the word, renew your mind, think rightly and deeply about me so you know the promises that you have inherited through Jesus. It will cause you to bless the Lord. Oh, my soul, he forgives our iniquity. Then it goes on to say it heals our disease. We believe still that God has the power to heal disease and sickness today. Same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of you and I. He calls us as Christians and believers to go and lay our hands on people and pray that he would bring wellness and holiness and help and restorative things. And so we pray for that. This thing is driving me nuts. It's going to be all right. So we believe that God does this. And so we pray that he would. We know that God's ultimate will was never for sin and death, never for disease and sickness. His ultimate will was for us to walk with him in paradise and know no death. And so we can pray with confidence that, hey, it's your will, Lord, that you would heal this person because we know it's not your will that they have sickness and disease. We believe that and we ask and we petition. But you may ask, man, well, what happens when we pray? We prayed for healing. We prayed for that disease to go away. We prayed that that sickness was, would go away and it didn't, it didn't happen. Is God then not a keeper of his promises? And what we have to remember is this. Man, for you and I as finite human beings, like our zero to 90 years of life looks about like this. And we're going, man, right now in this spot, God, would you bring healing? And he's going, look, I'm going to bring ultimate healing, but it may be eternal ultimate healing. And so we trust as we pray, God, we know you can heal. We're praying that you would heal. But even if you don't, we know that ultimate healing has come. And so we've seen brothers and sisters and family members go before us that weren't healed. But now that they're in the presence of God, they have been made clean again. They're not walking in sickness or death. They've been given life. And so we trust that he forgives our iniquity and he heals our disease. And then he goes on and he says, 
He who redeems your life from the pit. Man, let me tell you something. If you have not lived your life in a moment where you found yourself in the pit, where you found yourself in the darkness, where it was hard, where you couldn't climb your way back up, there was no finish line in sight. If you haven't lived in that yet, I'm just telling you, the Bible promises for you and I that there will be those days. Like David literally had people coming to kill his life. He, like, he was living in caves like real pits going, God, would you be faithful? Would you sustain me? Would you protect me? He says he redeemed my life from the pit. He doesn't keep us from the pit. In fact, sometimes he keeps us in the pit for a lot longer than we want to be. And that's hard, right? That's hard. I've seen people that say, hey, I'm in this place in life and I mean, I prayed for two days and God hasn't done anything. He's even listening. Does he even love me? I've prayed for a week. I've prayed for a month. I've prayed for years and nothing has changed. Does he keep his promises? Will he redeem my life from this pit? And here's what I want to tell us this morning. Sometimes one of the most gracious and good things that God can do is let us stay in those valleys because he's with us and we seek him at a different level. We hear from him at a deeper level. He grows our faith and trust and our boldness and our courage in him. And so sometimes we're praying and we're going, man, God is moving slowly at this point in my life and he's going, just, just continue to trust. And I've promised, continue to trust. The question is, how do we respond in those moments? Are we people that go, you know what, like I prayed, he's not doing it. I've got to figure out how to get out of this pit myself. I've got to start getting on with it because he's moving slow and I don't know if he's even coming. Are we the people that go, you know what, even in the midst of this, I see you with me. You're sustaining me and I believe because you've promised that when you get me out of here one day, it's going to be for my good at some level. I don't even know how that works, but I'm trusting you. This is the promises of God that are yes and amen in Christ. I love selling stuff on Facebook. I got poor ways, folks. Like, for me, I'm like, I don't have to go buy something new. You can literally buy anything you want on Facebook Marketplace at any time for half the price, and you can haggle. I love it. It's like an ultimate garage sale. I don't know. Does anybody ever use Facebook Marketplace in here? Okay, that's good. A few of you. You're missing out, those of you that are not, okay? But here's what I want to tell you about. I'm going to give you just a starter guide to Facebook Marketplace. Uh, the first time I started selling stuff on Facebook Marketplace, right? You take your picture, you write up your little thing, throw it on there, and it's like instantaneous. I just want to tell you, like, the next time you pick something up in your house, and you're like, I'm going to throw this in the garbage. This is just junk in my house. Just take a picture, put it on Facebook. You're going to make $20. Guaranteed, okay? That's, just, that's free, okay? Now, you put it up there, and what happens is it's like instantaneous. I want that. I'm next, 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 next. Don't sell it. And then someone will private message you and go, look, I've been looking for that 1992 VCR for like five years. I'm coming to your house right now. Don't Just take it off of the, the internet. I'll be there. Trust me. I've got the $15. I'm in my car. I'm 18 minutes away. And so in the beginning... I was like, okay, they promised they're coming. Like, I'm gonna take it off of Facebook. Surely everybody that says they're gonna do something is gonna do something, right? And, and what happens is about 18 minutes passes. I'm like, hey, bro, um, just checking in on you. Like, oh, dude, I'm, I'm right around the corner. My uncle called me, but I'm coming. Okay, an hour passes. Like, I had a flat tire. They've already fixed my tire. I'm on the way. Literally, it says I'm two minutes away. Two hours passes, where are you? I had to get gas. I had like a half a mile, but I had, I'm like, dude, it took three hours for you to get to my house, and then they never come. And so what I realized is, hey, look, at the bird residence, there's no holds on my items, okay? It's the first person with cash, and then I'm going to give you something, because I just can't guarantee that what you've promised me, you're going to follow through with. But there's also been times I've put something on Facebook, and one of my friends that I know well 
will be like, hey, man, I, I'm, I'm going to come get that. I can't come for like two weeks, but will you just take that off of Facebook? I do want that old VCR. Uh, I'm coming to get it. And so I'll take that off of Facebook. I'll put it in the corner. And two weeks later, my buddy comes and picks that up and pays me. Why? I trust in him. I'm going to wait for him because he who promised is, is going to fulfill what he said he was going to do. And sometimes for us, we, we, we view God like this. We're like, man, God, you said you were coming 15 minutes from now, but you didn't, so I'm done. I'm done waiting on you. And what God's calling us to is, 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 is a good friend. That he goes, hey, listen, I'm trustworthy. <laughs> Just wait on me. I'm going to follow through. Don't give up trusting in me. I will redeem your life from the pit. And then he continues on and he says that he crowns us with love and mercy. I don't even understand how all this operates, but here's what I know. When we become a believer, it's like he, he wants to crown us as one of his crown possessions, saying you are an example of my love and my mercy and my grace for all the world to see, which is beautiful. Like I don't think we view ourselves as that way often, but the Lord is going, you are my crown possession. I've shown who I am in you. And listen to how Paul takes it even further. He says in 2 Timothy 4, 8, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. I don't know how this is going to work, church. I don't think anybody actually does. If they tell you to do that, I think they're a liar. But there's something along the way that we're going to stand before Jesus, the righteous judge, and those of us that have placed our faith in Christ, he's going to crown us with the righteousness that he has already told us we are now. And I believe probably that crown is going to go on if it's a physical crown. And then we're going to lay it back at Jesus' feet because we're going to go, the only righteousness, the only life, the only hope I have was in you, Jesus. This is for you. But he crowns us with love and mercy. And then he says he satisfies us with good. I think all of us, we just sang that song, the goodness of God. I love that song. Right? I think we can all attest as believers to these moments in life where you're like, God has been so good. His goodness has pursued and run after me. I see his goodness all around me. But I think also there's moments that we could just say honestly, life doesn't always feel good. There's moments where we feel like, you know what, I, I feel like he's stretching me and he's chiseling away at my sin and this is hard and difficult. I feel like he's disciplining me. Where's the goodness that you promised? Look, I try to be a good dad. I'm a broken human being just like you. There's days I do it well. There's days I don't do it well. But I try to discipline my kids, right? I want them to be successful human beings. I don't want them to grow up and accidentally kill themselves. Like, I want them to be able to function as human beings without me in a few years. And so there's moments when it's safe that I'll be like, you know what? I see that my kid's about to do something that's not going to work out well for them, but I'm going to let them do it because I'm going to let them fail and when they do that, they're going to realize that hurt really bad and I don't need to do that anymore. And, and, and when that happens, what's actually being happening for me is the fathers, I'm loving them, right? You'd say, man, that's a good dad. Like, he's disciplining his kids in love so that they know how to function, how they, they know how to love Jesus. They, they're not going to do idiotic things when they're 22 years old. Like, this is good and right. But sometimes the Lord is disciplining you and I He's either causing or allowing things to come into our life. And we go, man, I don't know if that's good. And the Lord said, hey, listen, my discipline is good because I love you. I want, to, I want us to read Hebrews 12, 3 through 11. 
It says, consider him who endured for, from sinners such hostility against himself. This is Jesus. So that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Anybody in this room a little weary or faint-hearted? He says, don't, don't give up. And your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Listen to this. If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, you are an illegitimate child and not sons. He's going, look, this discipline is good for you. It's my love for you. It's my grace for you poured out. And it, it's not fun. It's not easy. But if you're someone that goes, man, I don't experience the discipline of the Lord. He goes, you're not my child. But if you're my child, I'm going to discipline you and it's going to be good and right. He continues on, verse nine. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who have disciplined us and we respected them. This is, this is godly discipline. This isn't abuse or all the things that get messed up in discipline, but this is the pursuit of really trying to love kids well and discipline them in, in right ways. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but God, he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those that have been trained by it. He says, hey, listen, I promise good to you. And good doesn't always look the way we think it should. Sometimes he's gonna discipline, out of, discipline us out of his love and in his goodness towards us. He's gonna stretch us. He's gonna leave us in the valley just a little bit longer, but he's with us, sustaining us. There's moments where he's gonna start sifting our hearts and he's gonna strip away some of the old flesh and that hurts and it's difficult. But he says it's for your good because you're gonna find holiness and righteousness. You're gonna look more like Jesus. You're gonna love me and trust me deeper and that's the ultimate good for your life. It's better than no worries, no trials. To know me and walk with me is better. And so this is the good that he promises to you and I. And then he says, your youth will be renewed like the eagle. He says, hey, look, man, God loves me and his benefits and his blessings are yes and amen in Jesus. He's forgiven my iniquity. He has taken away disease. He has redeemed my life from the pit. He crowns me with love and mercy. He satisfies me with good. And he refreshes and recharges and renews me by the power of his spirit. This is the blessings of the Lord. And David's saying, oh, bless the Lord, oh, my soul. Forget not his benefits. And Paul looks at it in a whole different way than probably you and I. Philippians 3, 10 through 11, here's what he says when it comes to this idea of like, man, I don't know if I'm getting out of the pit. I don't know that life really feels good right now. I know he's forgiven me. And here's what Paul would say. He says that I may know him, Jesus, and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. He's like, you know what's good and right is that I share in the sufferings of Jesus even unto death. He doesn't owe me anything. He's been good enough to me to send Jesus to the cross and I'll follow him even unto death. Why? 
that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. He's going, look, you don't have to bring me out of the pit, Lord. You don't have to promise me good. You don't have to heal my diseases right now because I know that I'm going to gain the resurrection of the dead, that I'm going to live with you in glory forever. And you are going to heal all things. and You are going to make all things right and new. And I will celebrate with you forever and ever. So God, if I share in your sufferings, even that is still good because ultimate healing will come. And so as we finish up this first section of David recounting the blessings of God, here's what I want to just give us as an action step. Like what would it look like this week for you just to go write those five or six down and to think deeply and rightly about the Lord? Would it raise in you some worship? Maybe you go and you just Google, what are the blessings of the Lord for the sons and the daughters of God? And you start writing these scriptures down and you renew your mind daily that you might bless the Lord with all your soul. And so David continues on. He says, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As the father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. And so David, wanting to move his heart to worship and bless the Lord, he goes, okay, I'm going to remember the fact that you stand up for the oppressed, that you bring justice for those who are under the rule of others. He's going, I remember, I look at Moses and the Israelites and how you took them out of slavery. You stood up for the oppressed and you do it for me. And then he continues on and he begins to to name some of the attributes of God. And they're words that we say all the time, but I wrote down definitions for them. Because I want them to hit a little fresh for us this morning. Verse 8, the Lord is merciful. Merciful means compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm them. And Jesus has shown us mercy by taking on our punishment. We were worthy of death. We were worthy of punishment. He has the power, the authority, and the right to do so, and yet he's merciful and withholds that by pouring it out on Jesus for the believer. He says he's gracious. Gracious means being marked by kindness. Our God is kind. And then I love this last one. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Here's the definition of steadfast love. A firm loyalty and unswerving dedication, immovable, irrefutable, unchangeable, unalterable, and completely and utterly dependable and determined. The love of God and Jesus for you and I. David is wanting his soul to bless the Lord. He's going, your love is steadfast. It's firm and it's loyal. It's unchangeable. It's unalterable. It doesn't matter what my life looks like. You're going to continue to love me. It's completely and utterly dependable. God is one that we can depend on. His love is unchangeable for us. And David says, man, that moves me to the deep things of of the Lord to want to praise you and lift you high. Verse 10, he says, he does not deal with us according to our sins. Praise God. 
Like we are the type of people that we love to repay people that have sinned against us. You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. Hey kid, if he hits you, hit him back. Like this is how we live our life. But the Lord is showing us something totally different than that. He doesn't deal with us according to our sins. Praise God. Nor does he repay us according to our iniquities. And he talks about this love. He doesn't even know how to describe it. He says, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is this steadfast love, this unmovable, unchangeable, totally dependent love. It's like as far as the sky is above the earth, that is the love of God for his children. It's infinite. It just goes forever. This is the love of God for you and I. And then he says he cast our sin as far as the east is from the west and chooses to remember it no more. Right? The east from the west, this infinite thing that when we came to Christ, he took our mistakes, he took our shame, he took our guilt, he took the mistakes you're going to make tomorrow and the next day and next year, and he cast them as far as the east is from the west. They're gone. They're paid for in Christ. But verse 9, he will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. There's coming a day where Jesus is going to return and he is going to pour out his justice and his wrath towards sin. The question is, do you know Jesus? Was he the one that absorbed it for you or do you not? Because then you've got to pay for it yourself. He's not always going to keep his anger. We love justice as people. We love movies that have justice in them. We love stories that have justice in them. We love in life when justice is served. We love it. I love scrolling Facebook. And when you see those, there's always those uh, videos, maybe these probably don't show up in your feed because you're not as messed up as me. But it's like a UFC fight or a boxing fight. And what you have is one dude is just whooping up on the other guy. I mean, just beating him to a pulp. And this guy just gets super arrogant, super boastful. He starts dancing around, doing all this crazy stuff. And the guy that's almost unconscious, like out of nowhere, will like roundhouse kick this guy in the face and just knock him unconscious. And I'm like, yes, justice was served. I know I'm messed up. I'm working on that I need not to rejoice when someone gets kicked in the face unconscious but I love it why because justice was served but what we don't love is we don't love when justice has to deal with our sin then we love grace and mercy and kindness and compassion and God's going hey listen I show you these things my justice is coming my anger will not always be withheld but for those in Christ it will pass over you and you will be deemed is righteous and David says that love is as high as the heavens is from the earth and that makes me want to bless the Lord with all of my soul and then he finishes in 13 he says as a father shows compassion to his children so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him look here, here's how you know if you actually understand the gospel at a heart level or if it's just a lot of ethereal knowledge in your mind when you sin when you mess up, the question is, what happens in your response? Do you begin to feel guilt and unworthiness and shame, which is right? We should feel some of that in our sin. But the question is, at that point, do you run to the Lord as a compassionate father who's going to show grace and mercy and kindness and actually cleanse you? Or do you run the other way and go, man, I need to wait until this guilt and the shame kind of falls off of me. Maybe I'll read my Bible some, do some more church stuff, and then I feel like I'm back worthy to be in his presence. This is a lie from the enemy, and it's not the gospel. The gospel pushes us to the Lord because he is like a father who's compassionate. 
Look, I told you, I love my kids. I try to do well. I try to discipline. But I, can I tell you, there's these moments where my kids do stuff and they start crying. And I'm not talking about like, you know, manipulative crying or fake crying. That just makes me more angry. Uh, but this, this is like, you can tell they feel shameful. They feel guilty. Like they feel the weight of whatever they just did. And man, if they start crying and say they're sorry, like I'm done. I'll just be real. I'm done. I'm like scooping them up. I'm like, I don't care that you shot the TV with your Nerf gun and broke it. Just come here. Everything's going to be okay. Why? Because I am a father. And even though I'm sinful and broken, I'm still able to show compassion to my kids. And God's going, man, if you can do that as a sinful man, how much more as your heavenly father will I show you compassion and kindness when you run to me? And this is the beauty of the gospel. Do you run to the Lord in your times of need? David says, man, when I think about this, I can't obtain this kind of information. It's too high and too lofty. And so then he continues. And so what David has done at this point is he has, one, remembered the benefits and the blessings of God. He's reminded himself of the love and the kindness and the grace and the compassion of the Lord. And then he just, for humility's sake, wants to kind of remind him of who we are as humans and how long this life is for us and that our glory is fading quickly. And so here's what he says in verse 14. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass He flourishes like a flower of the field for the wind passes over it and it's gone and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his commandment and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. David said, hey, hey, you know what, Here, here's how we can praise, here's how we can think rightly and deeply about the Lord and cause our soul to worship, is we, we get humble and we remember that our glory, our possessions, our best imprint on this world, in the end is like a flower and when the wind comes, it's going to die and no one's going to remember it anymore. Man, our flower bed right now, for real, is on point. I'm just gonna tell you, it's on point. Katie has been working super hard on our flower bed. I love it. She doesn't like to buy things that come up the next year. She just wants flowers that are only gonna last a little while. And I saw her, I was mowing the yard, and the other day she was digging up a flower that was already planted, and she was like a young mom nursing this flower so carefully and dug it the perfect hole and put it in and did all this and fertilized it and watered it, and that flower died in like two days. And I'm like, man, like... These things are so fragile. They die in like two days. She had the 50-pound bags of mulch. She was like, man, I've got all these flowers out. Go get the mulch now. And I don't know why that stuff always stinks and it's humid and it's hot. I don't know if y'all ever experienced that with mulch, but I'm doing the mulch and a little bit falls on one of the petals. She's like, you're like a bull in a china cabinet. Slow down. Quit putting mulch all over everything. That flower died. And I'm like, I'm not made for flower beds. But here's here's what I noticed. Man, those are the most fragile little things, and they die so quickly. And and David said, hey, listen, we're like that. We don't have control of our life. Our glory, our majesty, our possessions, our money, our name, literally would be taken in a moment like a vapor in the wind. And here's what's really hard. He says we're like a flower, and when the wind passes over it, at the end of verse 16, and its place knows it no more. Like we do this every year. Katie does the flower beds. 
She digs up all the dead ones. They'll literally be dead by October, November. We spent this money, it's awesome, for like five months, and then they're dead. And then we dig them up, we put in new flowers the next year, and I don't remember what kind of flower we had. I don't even know where it was because we have new ones. And David's going, look, for me and you, this is our life. Everything about us, we're going to go in the ground. It's going to be gone in a couple of generations. No one's going to remember our name. They're not going to even know where we were from or what we did or who we were. Our own family probably won't even remember our names. Happy Mother's Day. Y'all have a great Sunday afternoon. Right? Like our, our glory is fading. And so David says, hey, because of this, I'm looking to the glory of my king. For his kingdom is eternal and it's everlasting. And the children, children's are going to know who he is and what he's about. And he invites us into that story. We spend our whole life trying to build up our kingdom and we make this beautiful flower bed and literally it's just gone in months and no one remembers. But he's going, my kingdom is everlasting. Be a part of what I'm doing. Teach your children who I am because I will bless them and their children's children. Because my kingdom is everlasting. And David says, hey man, if I'm going to think rightly and deeply about the Lord, I've got to remember that I am low <laughs> and he is high. That I am fragile Look, we are all a phone call away from our life being completely different forever. We have no control. We're fading. We're on our way out. And yet he is everlasting. He is unending. And he loves us and he calls us into his kingdom. And here's how David finishes. He says, man, your, your kingdom rules over all. Verse 20, bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. He says, look, the whole, the whole world, the whole, all of creation is blessing the Lord, praising God, because he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. His kingdom is over everything. And so he's going, man, he's, he's kind and he, he's given me promises that are yes and amen. And Jesus, he forgives our iniquity. He heals my disease and my sickness. He's with me and redeems me out of the pit. He gives me new life and promises good. He's kind and he's gentle and his, his love is unchangeable, unalterable and dependable. And my life is just a vapor in the wind here today and gone tomorrow. But he is everlasting. The nations and the world are crying out his glory. And here's how he ends. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Here's what I think. I think David started this trying to remind himself and talk himself into blessing the Lord with all that he is, praising him with all that he is. And as he goes down this list of who God is and what he's done and his faithfulness and his kindness, he goes... Man, it's just spewing out of me. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. And this is what he calls us to, church. The question is, are, are you blessing the Lord with all your soul? David says, hey, look, the, the nations are crying out to him. Creation's crying out to him. Are you crying out to him? Are you thinking rightly and deeply about the things of God on a daily basis? Are you renewing your mind on the promises of God? Are you thinking in that way so that you do praise rightly? That everything within you longs to, to give him glory and honor and worship. This is Psalm 103, that we would bless the Lord, oh my soul. Let's pray together. And so God, I thank you that we have your revealed word 
to come and to think on your benefits, on your promises, on, on what you've given us, the yes and the amen that Jesus has won for us. We thank you that you are loving and merciful and kind and slow to anger. We thank you that you are a kingdom and a God that is everlasting. And we thank you that you love us and you see us and you know us and you promise us good. So Lord, as we spend this last few minutes worshiping together and responding, God, would we not hear the word of God and leave unchanged? But will we continue to be a people to think rightly and deeply about the things of God that we might praise rightly? And so would you have your way in us in these next few minutes? And it's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen.